Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. I'm excited to have this conversation with Shane Heath, founder and CEO of Mudwater. Welcome to Founder to Mentor, Shane. Thanks for having me, Mike. How's it going? It's going great. Can you uh, can you start us out and give us a give us an intro on yourself and on Mudwater? Sure. Yeah. So, name's Shane Heath. My background's in design, actually. So I, I studied design and art in college. Even within that, it was super broad. I, it was technically called a multimedia major. So, did some front end web development, but also did some painting and did some like music classes. Like very broad, creative mainly oriented around digital. And I think a lot of that was like influenced by my parents growing up, honestly. My dad is a builder and built all the homes I grew up in and, you know, was someone that really understood the full spectrum of the process. So he could start with blueprints and get down and dirty and all the way to the framing, to the plumbing, to everything. So I was just like witnessing that throughout my life, like literal drawings on paper becoming structures that I would like fall asleep in. And so I think I was really, you know, now I'm able to connect the dots, but I was always infatuated by learning the full spectrum of the process. So that's kind of what I studied in school. Right after I graduated, I jumped into the entrepreneurship world, joined a company or started a company with two other friends. It was like, we had no idea what we were doing. It was an action sports space, online video site, exciting enough and in our realm of interests enough for us to pursue it for two years, even though there's like absolutely no business model there. We ended up learning a ton. We raised like a small amount of money. I was like basically like starving, like barely getting by, but just so passionate, learning a ton. I was able to take that experience and I moved to Silicon Valley. I'm born and raised in Santa Cruz. And so I ended up living in San Francisco, just over the hill and in Mountain View. And worked for a variety of startups there. So some were like early stage startups and some were like later stage had gotten, you know, went public kind of companies where I was working, wearing a ton of hats or focused on like a small piece of things. At that time, I was also living a really healthy lifestyle. Um, at my senior year of college, I got very into Ayurveda, meditation, yoga, jujitsu, things like that. So working really hard, have had a lot of ambition in as far as my career goes. And then also was just like really taking care of myself, focused on health and wellness outside of the office. Mudwater kind of started here, at least like the initial seeds were planted because in addition to that, I was just drinking tons of caffeine. I didn't think that caffeine was bad for me. I thought coffee was good for you. I thought it would allow me to do more and do it faster. Didn't see any downsides. Everyone was doing it. So I'm like, I'll do all of it. All of it I can get. And so, uh, you know, soon I was drinking, you know, massive like bulletproof in the morning, then like something at noon. And then before jujitsu at night, there's another pre-workout. I was drinking hundreds of milligrams of caffeine. I had no idea that there could be negative consequences to that, but started to feel anxious, started to feel, um, you know, just like at work, like the, the normal stressors were more pronounced and that was getting in the way of my creative process and i started not sleeping well and that was kind of this like cyclical effect and you know keep in mind at that time this is like 2014 like nobody was really talking about 
mental health really back then. It was like hustle culture, sleep when you're dead, like go, go, go. Like rest and recovery was sort of positioned as something for the lazy and non-productive in many ways. And so I had like no idea. Then all of a sudden, I think I think I was probably uniquely uh, positioned to like really feel it because I was creative and because my career literally depended my on my ability to come up with ideas, whether it was in the office or in the art studio. And so I, I just noticed that if I was in that parasympathetic state, I was not creative. And so I just started to question the the sort of cultural prescription of let's go grab a cup of coffee being the thing that you do in the morning, the afternoon, and et cetera. And I started to explore a morning ritual that was not just about high doses of caffeine. And this is where the parents come back into the story. My mom had been working for the largest mushroom grower in America called Monterey Mushroom since before I was born. Um, and so I was always around mushrooms growing up, mainly gourmet mushrooms. Now they're getting to the, the nutraceuticals. But mushrooms to me were just a part of like the daily diet. And so I'm, I'm here looking for like this morning ritual that is more than a vessel for caffeine. And then I start hearing about these mushrooms like lion's mane for focus, cordyceps for physical performance, chaga reishi, etc. And I just started like combining different things into a mug every morning. So it was like mushrooms, some cacao, some turmeric. I was just like, I know I want to, I want focus. I want energy. I'm constantly sore. I want like, if anything can help with inflammation, that sounds great. And I don't want to get sick immune system. Like I know I'm going to wake up and drink something like I love the routine. And so why not make it take care of me much more holistically. And so I just make this, take it with me everywhere I went. And, you know, I thought it was, I was just dealt a bad hand of cards. I couldn't handle caffeine. Everybody else could. And so when people would ask me what I was drinking, I would just call it mud and I'd just kind of like joke around about, about it. But the real aha moment for starting a company was when I realized that I wasn't the only one with that problem. In fact, like pretty much everyone who asked me what I was drinking, eventually that conversation devolved into, I feel jittery. I feel anxious. Like I'm trying to drink less caffeine. You know, no one was trying to drink more caffeine. Everyone was trying to sleep better and feel better. And I was just like, okay, I know how to make this. I know how to put together websites, build brands. I love starting companies. And it was it was just like, let's do it. Like in May of 2018, I grabbed my computer on a Saturday, like pretty much just built the brand, ordered some labels and ordered some jars off Amazon, some ingredients on it off Amazon and just put it up super scrappy you know, like the traditional startup story. And I was at a full-time job. I had no money. I opened a credit card. I think my credit score was so low. I got, I think, a $4,000 limit and was able just to buy enough to get started. And within like a month, I was, you know, overwhelmed by orders, basically. So much so that I would have my roommate and his girlfriend Make, like box orders up while I was going to work. And then I'd come home with my lunch breaks and they'd give me bags and I'd take it to the post office, go back to work. Later that night, I'd go to the kitchen, go mix it up again. It was like this never ending cycle. And eight months in, I was shipping out like $150,000 a month and had investors, you know, like wanting to invest. And I was like, all right, I guess it's time to, to jump in, <laughs> like jump off the cliff and build the wings on the way down kind of a thing. 
And so, yeah, eight months after launch, uh, raised a, a round of funding. And yeah, it's just been an amazing journey since. I, we can we can get into the steps along the way, but that's sort of how it, it came to be, how it got off the ground. And it was wild. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome uh, awesome origin story. How, was it was it advertising and and uh, that kind of got that first boost and got got you? Yeah, the, uh, the product's great, and I, I think unique in the kind of in the tin that you, you guys were in, yeah, uh, and and all of that. And but it like, how did you get the word out when you first uh, when you first launched? Yeah, I think I viewed it very much as the the brand. I viewed the brand, the whole business to me was just an extension of me and it felt very much like art. I didn't pull out a whiteboard. I didn't do market research. I, I loved the product. I'd been drinking it for three years and felt amazing. And I'd talked to people that, you know, wanted it too and made it for them and they felt amazing. And I was like, I'm just going to make the brand something that I would want to see. And so everything from how it looked to how it sounded, like our brand voice, I was just like, I'm, you know, it's kind of this like be like water approach. It's like find the path of least resistance, which is like, just be you. And so I just was writing the copy and the copy was all about, it was about like challenging the status quo. It was about shaking up the snow globe around these cultural norms around how we wake up how we rise, how we get ready for work, how we find energy and providing an alternative. And so like one of the first pieces of copy I put out was I'm not mad at coffee. I'm just disappointed. So I made something better. So it was like, <clears throat> it was kind of like, yeah, just inspiring curiosity really is, was my goal. Like curiosity and introspection, like not coming out being like, don't do that, do this. It was just, I know everybody thinks you should do that or everybody's just doing that without questioning it, that being coffee. Maybe ask yourself if it's good for you and if you want to switch, there's something over here. You know, it was like a very passive sales approach, but it was targeting a market that is so massive. 90% of the population, you know, drinks caffeine every day. And I think a lot of people are probably overdoing it. They don't even know it. There's a lot of people that do know it. And so, yeah, I, I a lot of our growth was was the combination of you know, being first to come in and question that norm, which really allowed us to stand out in a very big way. Because again, at that time, it was all like, but first coffee mugs, you know, like coffee was the thing everyone did and loved. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I think that really, I, I zigged where other people were zagging. And so I think, you know, that's one of the most powerful tools in marketing is in as far as standing out. And then you have to follow it up on your promise. And so the product itself was great. And I think I really did focus on like the holistic experience. So like once you got the product, like, you know, I was like, it's, I was scrappy for sure, but like I did my best to make that experience great. So everything from the email flow to the packaging, the brand was just like top to bottom inside out. It was everywhere and super consistent. And so more than a lot of other products, People took photos of it, shared it with their friends. I'm drinking mud. Like, that's crazy. And people are like, what is that? Like, what does that even mean? You know, it started conversation. And again, it was like inspiring curiosity, introspection from brand to consumer in a way that allows consumer to consumer to do the same thing. And so that created this sort of like virality, which really helped 
you know, our ad spend, you know, because I, I was pushing this out through ads, but it was so efficient. And it is because of that, that flywheel that we created. Yeah. Well, I, it, uh, it, it, I think it starts with a strong uh, founder product fit. Like, and, and you said it like you, you, you creating that product for yourself and being able to like stand up to the, uh, for the mushrooms and, and, and for the other superfoods and stuff that you're putting into it and, and, mm. and creating that divide, I think makes it, I think anyway, makes it easier to, to replicate. And, and then your consumer base saying like, okay, I'm, uh, that's that I'm living that lifestyle where yeah. if there's not, we talk a lot about product market fit, but uh, founder market founder product fit i think is uh is, is a key part of it too i love founder-led businesses and you know you can do it either way but i think that they're they're very strong and when you can tie that story in it's it just builds authenticity and i think more than ever in history like brands today they have to feel human 20 years ago you couldn't really like selling online wasn't as big of a deal like <laughs> And so you just sold on a shelf and you can only say so much when you're selling on a shelf. But now online, every brand has an Instagram, every brand has a website, you have email, there's all of these canvases through which you can tell your story through. And so it's, it's table stakes now. And it's why the, you know, the old brands, they have a harder time competing now because all the young upstarts, they're not formulating, they're, they're forming, they're forming a relationship with the consumer that's much more like, Consumers feel like friends with the brand. Like consumers feel like friends with Patagonia. <laughs> you know, it's like they'll be like, "Yeah, I'm." We're aligned philosophically on things, and by we, they're like me and this brand. As it's like a, another human, we personify the most strong brands. General Mills is kind of a different one, right? <laughs> like you don't have that same. You can't build that same relationship to it. Yeah, love that. The product's not uh, not for everyone, right? You can have a, lo a lot of people that like the the earthy, yeah. uh, and, and I think mud uh, kind of plays that up that uh, that it's going to be it's that's expectations a little bit, <laughs> yeah. But in and I guess even more so in the early days. But did you have the people that were like, "Whoa, I bought this," and 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 it's just not coffee, or or it's not living up to not being not coffee. Like I don't know, when you're not trying to be a coffee replacement. Sure. It's it's a it's a lifestyle choice instead of coffee to to nourish uh, instead of caffeinate. But uh, like, how, how did you? Was there much of that, and how did you kind of combat that? The, the some of the naysayers. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had this mentality in the beginning that was like, like, this is the product that I drink, and I'm going to share it. And if others don't want it, then I'm not going to force this into a company, basically. And so I knew some people wouldn't like it. I knew it's not for everyone. And so I really wanted to build a company around those who it is for. I also, you know, knew that once it started to roll, like we, we also want to appeal to as many, we want to find as many people that it's for as possible. And I think the, the brand name definitely, you know, is a little like tongue in cheek play and it like, but it does set expectations, you know? And I like, I like to say it's tastier than it sounds and it's healthier than it tastes, you know? And it's like early on, like some of the, the content that I pushed out was around the name. And because there's a lot of people that are like, I'm never going to drink something called mud, you know? And I think uh, to me, it's again, it's another form of shaking up the snow globe, right? Like you look around the shelves of the supermarkets, grocery stores, and you know, there's sunny delight, there's vitamin water, there's, 
rock star, all these things that sound really good. <laughs> you know, they say, I want that. I want to taste that. And they're horrible for you, <laughs> you know, like literally poison. And so at the end of the day, like when you're looking at what to consume, like it's what's inside that counts. And like, I didn't, I wasn't interested in playing the cute name contest because that's the truth. <laughs> and I think that if I, I'm always looking for like ways it's not just the product itself. It's not the positioning itself that can shift culture. But I want to, again, inspire curiosity, introspection. And it can it, we can do that with the name itself as well, right? Like people are like, I would never drink something called mud water. It's like, cool, like ask yourself why. Like, why would the name matter at all? And so that can help you like, now I'm looking at the grocery shelf a lot differently. Like, am I drawn to this sunny delight just because of the name? You know, and it's like, what is on, what is in this actually? Like, is it delightful for my body or is it, you know what I mean? Uh, and you're just like, oh, this has the same amount of sugar as a Coca-Cola. This is poison. Okay. I got tricked. And so, yeah, I wanted to try to play into that across, across the board. And then also uh, once people do, you know, take the leap to try our product, I also want to encourage them to explore, like, think about if if coffee didn't exist and somebody were bringing it to market today, I think that a lot of people would probably try it and be like, like brew it up, brew up a black cup of coffee. And they'd be like this, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> you know, like if you like we, it's hard to picture that because coffee is just so ingrained in culture and it's same with like alcohol, both of those products, like they taste pretty horrible. I think like objectively speaking, but flavor is so tied to it's tied to so much more than just taste it's how it makes you feel it's the cultural norm built around it etc and so whether it's coffee wine vodka it it's not just about taste and so with with coffee most people make it with milk or creamer or milk creamer sweetener and like with our products same and so that's been a way to you know both drive at that like underlying purpose of inspiring curiosity introspection kind of giving people agency over their what they're what they're doing what they're drinking how they're thinking and then also giving them some tools to try to make it you know fit their unique flavor profile yeah i love the i love the part and i think it it, it brought me back because i think the the mystique that you kind of created was an opportunity for even people that said like i'll never drink mud we used to hear all the time like oh i don't do hemp i would, I would never eat hemp and and it, it right was op- it was that opportunity to be like well why? What, what what are you talking about? Or maybe maybe you're maybe you're confusing it with something else, or or do you not know the full story? Or you know, give us time. Yeah, give us an opportunity to to educate you, maybe, and you, and you may you may change your mind. But it, but that mystique is a is a, is an opportunity to be a mind opener. And, and it, it kind of plays good. in that philosophy of like if you're if you're trying to be for everyone, you'll like speak to no one. Mm-hmm. And I do think following it up with or looking at that curiosity as an opportunity is such a, such a valuable one. Like you said, you, you said, maybe you could change their mind. I believe that changing someone's mind is like, if you as a brand get someone to think differently about something, like that's like a lifelong thing. <laughs> like they will not, like if, think about friends, friends in your life that you've met they opened up your mind to something that you were afraid of or, you know, just completely change your perspective on something. It's like those people are like, you remember the impact those people have on your lives. 
and like I was saying about brands, person personifying brands, it's like brands that can inspire change are brands that like can stand the test of time. And I think Patagonia is another good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. If we, we heard it all the time. Like it, it, uh, it went from, no, I'm not sure I don't do hemp or I heard hemp's a bad thing. And then, and then they yeah. got into it and then they started eating hemp hearts. And then they would say like, this, this led me to eating more salad and, 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 and actually like helped me down the path. And my mm-hmm. thought as the founder was, was always, it, it was worth it to take the time to, t- to have those direct connections because if you took the time and and people did change their their way of thinking, powerful, they were they were, they were lifelong customers after that. You yeah, know? and and not only that, but they were, and probably ambassadors too. Ambassadors, exactly. Yeah, they were, they were so proud that they discovered something first, and they could share that learning, share that health, sh- share that with their friends. That and, and maybe that's something that, that that other founders can look for their moment in that because it is uh, it, it is an opportunity to to you know exponentially grow if you kind of get that messaging and fit right. Yeah, like the there's like that common phrase that people don't buy products, they buy future versions of themselves. You know, that's like the that's why you buy something. Most most things. It's like a better version of yourself is potentially on the other end of that exchange and and I think like if you change someone's mind, like you do you can change their life. And so yeah, you're I think you're spot on like that's where you build lifelong relationships with your customers and I think that some times what in in order to change people's minds sometimes you have to come to market with something that people have made up their mind about (laughs) that is wrong and be courageous enough to you know draw the line in the sand and give people the opportunity to walk across it yeah it's part of that i guess that part of the hero's journey too like there there needs to be uh there needs to be the enemy there and i I liked i liked how your approach and the examples you use on some of your early early marketing communications like your your you're what did you say you're not uh mad at coffee just disappointed just disappointed right like it's 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 the enemy coffee was the enemy but not the enemy of like oh we we need to be you know realizing you don't want to be over polarizing for people some people like it yeah we're living the time now that you know flexitarian so you know plant-based brands or 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 no sugar brand all these different things that are like really health brands only one person in the household actually may uh care about that but over time, mm. the whole household may care about that. And so you, you can't be super polarizing to like alienate people and turn them away. You want to just like slowly but surely get them into the brand. It is an art. And I think it also changes as your brand ages as well. I think in the early days, you can be a little more polarizing and really find like your your tribe, like your, you know, the early adopters. And then as the brand grows, you know, you kind of find ways to communicate to a wider and wider group of people that's that's at least what we're experiencing too and like early on i put early on we had stickers that would come for free in the starter kits that said fuck your coffee but those stickers were inspired by from burning man actually and so if you've i don't know if you've been to burning man but burning man has you know a lot of uh it has a reputation it's very it's very broad reaching i think what people think it is but one of the things that I've found, I, I've been, I went seven years in a row and like ran a theme camp out there and just, it was really inspirational for me. And I think one of the things I took from that was, you know, this, it was inspiring me to, uh, you know, provoke curiosity. And one of the things that you see when you drive into Burning Man that's interesting 
is there's a lot of like stickers and things that are like, fuck your this, fuck your that, fuck, fuck your art car, fuck your burn. Like anything that, that you might be attaching your ego to like, fuck that. And it just, it's not like in an aggressive way. It's more in like, Hey, just like shake up the snow globe and just look at that thing again. Maybe your relationship to it's completely healthy, but just giving yourself time to pause and reflect is oftentimes all you need to ensure that you're not walking too far down, you know, the wrong path. And so for me, like the fuck your coffee sticker was very much in that lens. It was just like challenging the butt first coffee kind of culture that had been created just for the simple, like this, the goal of just inspiring people to think for themselves. I did realize like years in, I think that some people did not understand the underlying meaning behind that. (laughs) People did love it still, but it was extremely polarizing and it got like more and more so as we started to expand from those early adopters into, you know, different subsets of customers. Yeah, I'm sure that someone, (laughs) an example of someone in the house, like, no, no, I really like my coffee. I have generations of liking coffee. Uh, and, uh, and you know, now you're, now you're the, uh, now you're the enemy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How's the innovation? Like it started out as one product, but you guys are involved into different, different products. Like usage occasion or talk to us about your strategy for, for how how you're innovating the brand. Yeah. So. Yeah, early on, I think it was easy to look at our our brand and kind of there was there was not a lot of separation between our brand and our product. It was like Mudwater was the black tin, the black tin was the brand. It was like all one thing. But from day one, like our mission has always been around the mind, like the the purpose, the why we exist is all about healing the mind. You know, more literally, our purpose statement is to create healthy minds through healthy habits, and we just so happen to you know, look at how we rise as like the first habit to go after and, you know, create a healthier alternative for. But when you look at culture, it's like, we're definitely living in what I would call like a mental health epidemic. I think it's becoming more and more uh, common knowledge than it was, you know, even three, five years ago. But, you know, one in two adults is going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder in their lifetime. I think it's like actually more than that. Things like depression is a leading cause of disability, anxiety, et cetera. And it's, it's like one of those topics that is kind of, it's, it's almost like so common or it's so taboo to discuss that we pretend like it's normal or like doesn't exist at all in some ways. And I think really like the root behind that is like our minds, our mental state is a reflection of the things that we do routinely. It's like, it's a reflection of our habits. It's how we approach life. And when you look at culture, everything from like how we rise, how we wake up all the way down to like how we go to sleep, to how we nourish ourselves, to even how we like socialize, like these core behaviors that pretty much all humans share, waking up, going to sleep, socializing, finding nourishment. There's a lot of like very normalized, unhealthy habits built around those. So like the morning, it's like stimulants, like all day, (laughs) get up, I need stimulants in the evening, it's like one third of the population is chronically sleep deprived. Way more are just not getting enough sleep. And then when you look at like nourishment, like as like you've done a lot of research on this, like we're very poorly nourished as a society, as a culture, you know, whether it's like overeating or being, you know, deficient in a variety of things. It's like, 
it's not good. And the results, you know, speak for themselves. And then socializing, like we're social creatures. And I think a lot of people rely on a variety of different things to be so, whether it's alcohol or other depressants. And so as a company, we're looking at our most commonly shared behaviors as a culture. And we're looking to inspire, evolve healthier habits around those behaviors. And so we started with Rise. We started with the coffee alternative. We recently launched an evening ritual product that, you know, is for rest, winding down, kind of the bookends of the day. And as we look out to the future, we're looking at various other points um, throughout the day, various other habits to to look at and introduce, you know, products around. Uh, and then in addition to that, like we call those our, our habit heroes, like the habit creation product line. And then we also have these like accessory products. So habit supporters, um, creamer, sweetener, different boosts, things that allow people to personalize those core habit products based on their personal taste profile, or maybe it's like the benefits, the functions that they're looking for. Yeah. And And is that... Is the new innovation still coming from uh, from your from your heart or from the founder from your art form as a founder or are you are you doing more? I mean, you guys have a big community. Yeah. Are you are you tapping into the community to to for some of those learnings now as a as a as a larger scale brand or? Yeah, I think as like a, the underlying architecture is still coming from me, but we have two food scientists on the team and you know massive you know, community, hundreds of thousands of customers. And, and so we know the direction that we want to sail the ship. And, but then we are doing outreach and consumer research. And, you know, this is what we're looking to produce, you know, getting feedback on flavor, getting feedback on function, form, all of those things is is something we're definitely tapping into, which is exciting. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you in business? craziest dude i mean the whole thing is just crazy becoming a father was pretty crazy i had a son lion was born and that was that's been a a really powerful thing for me and I, i think there's the expected like not getting sleep which is already tough to come by when you're founding a company like you're just you're holding a lot in your head and and in your heart, sleep becomes extremely, extremely difficult when you have a child. And if you've never thought about sleep as something that's extremely valuable, like have a kid and you'll, and like, don't get it for a while, <laughs> you'll, like, you'll quickly realize. I think one of the, the, on the other side of the spectrum, having a, a child, one of the things that was surprising to me was, uh, you know, it was like, it was in some ways like a relief. Like I, I think prior to having a kid, I, I thought that I wanted, you know, all, all options at my fingertips for as long as possible. I wanted like the blank canvas that, you know, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen in my life month over month, year over year. And once you have a kid, it kind of like, it tightens things in. It, it does remove some optionality. And I think leading up to that, I was fearful of what that might feel like. And after it happened, it was kind of relieving. And it's relieving in the same way. I don't know if you ever ever heard this term, but like the uh, the freedom of a tight brief. It's like when you when you have constraint, it actually in many ways can be more freeing. It can be more creative versus just looking at a blank canvas and you like have nothing to push off of. 
it's like now I have a lot more definition in my life and a lot more purpose. And, you know, there's res- with, you know, there's responsibility, but it, and it's also just inspiration and drive. So, you know, that's kind of like a business and personal life thing. And there's just like a lot of crazy things that have happened though, just more like minute, like just the small details, like just back in the days where I was going to the commercial kitchen every night until three in the morning. And like, I don't have any food manufacturing experience. I just had to like figure it out. And, you know, if you've seen our product, it comes in this tin. And from day one, I was like, I, it has to come in the tin. And when we were really small, just getting started, obviously I wanted a co-packer because my time wasn't best spent mixing the product, but no co-packer would take us on because we were too small and we required the tin. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, package your product but it's going to go in this bag and i was like it has to go in the tin and they're like well (laughs) you're not you're nothing you know basically and so for the first 14 months of the business i was going to the commercial kitchen two three nights a week and it was just it was wild and the commercial kitchen hated us because our product was a powder and it would get everywhere and cleanup took three hours sometimes and we got like, we could only, at one point, they're like, you can't mix here unless it's between the hours of 11 and 3 a.m. because your product is in the air and it gets into other people's products. So, like, it was like that. I was just like, okay. So, I was like going in in the middle of the night just by whatever means necessary. And because the purpose, the mission of the product, the mission of the brand was so tied to me, to, to like my purpose, nobody, like, it was so ridiculously inefficient and hard but like it was also so fun and i it wasn't a problem like it didn't feel like work to me in many ways it was just like an exhilarating time that was both like most people would have been like this is the most horrible thing this is the most horrible time of my life probably (laughs) some people would say that but for me it was just like extremely exhilarating and i think that just speaks to the potency of having you know really strong strongly aligned purpose, like personal purpose to your business purpose. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, it doubles down, triples down on the, uh, on the founder product fit, you know, when you're really, when it's, yeah. uh, when it's a thing, it becomes a lifestyle and then it's, I don't know if it's effortless, but it can feel like that. I could, I, I said, you know, it's been, you know, there was a decade or more decade and a half that, uh, my work didn't feel like work. It just, and, and it was, it, it was many hundred hour work weeks, but it wasn't, I was, that's what I really wanted to be doing. It was, there was no better thrill. I, I, I describe it as swimming extremely hard, but downstream, like you're still swimming, you're still pulling strokes and it's hard, but the stream is going with you. It's at your back. And, you know, I think a lot of people have felt swimming upstream and that's where it's doubly hard. But when the when the current's at your back, it's like you could be working extremely hard, but it's also extremely motivating. Do you have you developed uh, normal routines or habits uh, as the business has grown that that I think are 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 fundamental to uh, to your success? Uh, personally, or as a company? Yeah, either or. You know, is there is there things now that uh, and maybe more on the personal side of it, but uh, how you yeah. organize or how you. Or your health. I mean, I get to you're into it's. It's been health has been a focus for a long time as a found as the as you founded the business. But uh, is there is there things for other founders to be thinking about that they maybe can add to their toolbox uh, that that are 
foundational to your success? Yeah, I mean, I I do a lot of things. I think the underlying theme is both rooted in maximizing for recovery and maximizing my capacity to handle stress and make decisions under stress. And then the third goal is to just optimize my mind into a state where I can make creative decisions. So that's more of like parasympathetic. And so I have a sauna and a cold plunge at my house. I have a hyperbaric chamber at the office. Like I'm standing on like the like a spike mat right now. I just I read about certain things and then I try them and if I find value in them, I do them regularly. And so there's you know, I have tools like sauna, cold plunge, etc. Then those are more like physical apparatuses, experiential, and then I'll do I do breath work almost every day. So some form of like breath work and visualization. And then try to have like a gratitude practice as well. That could just be in the mind, but I think for me, I've noticed it's best when I write it down. And what I've found is a lot of these practices, I think specifically like the meditation and the gratitude, it's like, it's similar to air. Like you don't know how valuable it is to you until it's gone, until you stop doing it. Like when you're doing it, you kind of forget and you're like feeling great. Like I feel very composed. Like I, I, you know, my thoughts feel clear. And then you kind of like slip a little bit and then you're like, what's going on? And then you just get back to the practice and it's kind of this constant state of like forgetting and remembering a little bit. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just constantly looking to maintain my mind. Like it's the same, same as the company. Like I, I want to have healthy habits that contribute to the health of my mind. And I think it's like more important than it ever has been in my life right now, managing, you know, a eight figure business with uh, one one figure child, <laughs> a one year old child, you know, budding relationship, all those things. So, yeah, just got you got to take care of your mind. Yeah, I love that, and I'm in the very similar camp, uh, just guinea pigging with myself, and then adding, you know, sauna, cold plunge, red light therapy, other stimulation, yeah, you know, to keep in that space. And you know, there's some people in business that that think that that's they, they actually go out there and they're anti that. You don't need any special routine, and and you could just go to work. And and it, but I feel like people in the natural products industry, for sure, more I think are more intuitive and and uh, are like, well, why wouldn't you like? Why wouldn't you want a healthy lifestyle? Because it will optimize recovery. It'll will it will make you a better decision maker because you're you, you could operate in that stress level or whatever that is. Yeah, I, I just like some the best athletes in the world train like that and have a gratitude practice and and uh, and repair their body and eat right mm -hmm. and de stress and all that. So I'm, I'm a big believer yeah. and and, uh, and and a big proponent of it. So it's good to. Uh... It's one of those things that's still taboo. I think especially in like masculine cultures, like the same way that like yoga, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, like, like guys weren't doing yoga for whatever reason. And they're like, Oh, the best athletes, whether it's like straight up MMA fighters or football players, like they're, they're doing like deep stretching and mindfulness practices. If they're at the highest level, it's like, you should probably do it too. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing yoga for 22 years, but it was a lot more weird. Uh, for sure then and uh, yeah back then, yeah. yeah as as we were sponsoring mm -hmm. and and working with other athletes you, you see what the best of the best is kind of doing and and i think that the best of the best entrepreneurs a lot of them kind of bring those practices so yeah it's it. thanks for uh thanks for sharing yeah. what does mentorship mean to you have you had how do you think about mentorship uh uh and and uh, and where has that been in your life hmm yeah i mean i 
up until starting this company, I didn't, you know, have a very good concept of it, at least in terms of business and art. Prior to starting Mudwater, I'd never managed or hired or fired a single person. So I definitely wasn't a mentor. I was a player. I was like on the court shooting shots and, you know, really ambitious there. And then as this company has grown, I've, I'd say I'm still in like player coach mode and trying to learn how to, yeah, how to mentor. I, I kind of, I think in analogies a lot, and I don't know if you followed any of like Rick Rubin's work or he has, he has a new book out right now. Rick Rubin's like one of the most prolific producers of all time. And, you know, he, he talks about how like, we're all just like antennae, like we are, we can tune into, you know, the collective unconsciousness and in that space, like ideas come through. And if you're, if you're tuning in and you take that, you take the message and you go execute, like that's the thing. If you don't like that idea is going to come to someone else. There's just like times, like ideas have a time and, and you see this in music, you see this in art, you see it like all over the place in business, especially. And for me, you know, back to that previous question, like one of the reasons I'm so focused on taking care of the mind is because I think at least like the business that I want to run is is rooted in that connection, is um, rooted in a purpose. And I think the success is going to be determined by my ability to, you know, listen to that, by my ability to, to have great ideas, by my ability to innovate. And, you know, it's it's kind of like tuning in your intuition. And if you just have the approach of like, just forcing things, grind, 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 I think it works for certain types of businesses and certain industries, maybe more, but but not this one. Is that feeling like, like doing the right thing, and and then the results will follow? Like doing the right thing, and then the, and then the karma will like the the results will be positive. Or it, 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 is that would you? Yeah, I think it's like it's tr- tuning into and like training your gut, right? I, like as you know, throughout like the journey of a business, there's so many decisions that have to get made. Some of them are very big. Some of them are very small. Um, I think like the commonality between most of those decisions is like there's very little data. Like they're like you're doing your best, but like you're kind of carving your own path with your company. Like it's you can look at other companies and maybe they've done something similar, but it's never perfectly the same. And so there's only so much that you can pull from there. Like a lot of your decision making has to come from within. And so yeah, yeah, it's about like train, like trusting, a, like well tuned intuition. I think is so crucial for making a lot of those decisions that is basically 100% rooted on that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that answered yeah, that yeah, previous yeah, question, yeah, but no, well, in mentorship, I do have that. And you brought up a, someone that's, that's yeah, and, that people can, can check out if they're not familiar with Rick. Uh, but I think there's, there's lots of different forms of mentorship and I, and I do, I, I, I do like circling back to get, to, for because everyone can do this is get yourself in the place that you're that you feel like your intuition is the strongest you feel like your gut feel is the strongest which you know mm-hmm. we know now we know now that our gut is our second brain and to and to and to really feel yeah, the neurotransmitters you need, yeah you need to, in the you need heart to and a, gut you need a healthy space you need a healthy microbiome you need to eat healthy and, and mm-hmm. the wellness pieces so i think it all i think it all ties uh, but yeah as well. far as like as i'm i'm like definitely in the stage of you know my career where we have a 30 person team and, you know, a lot of like young and and really talented people on our team as well. And like one of the the most difficult things about starting a company is going from, you know, like I was really doing everything at the beginning and I, 
back to like inspired by my father. Like I love that. Like I love doing it all. But as the company grew, it was impossible, right? And uh, you know, now it's like I spend more of my time reviewing work and you know, especially like the creative work, whether it's copywriting or media buying strategy or digital product. Like I'm I'm in there and like trying to both help. You know, sometimes I'm even designing and writing myself, but more often than not, I'm finding myself trying to be more of a coach, trying to be more of a mentor. And it's not an easy transition at all. And luckily I have, I have, I've been working with coaches for the last four years. And I don't know if that's like in the same realm. I think a coach can be a mentor. I think that you can have mentors that aren't your coach though. And that's like where podcasts, like folks like Rick Rubin come in is like, I don't know a lot of these people, but I listen to them on a weekly basis and find a lot of inspiration. And then I also have, you know, a coach that has been working with me and other folks on the team. I have a couple of advisors who have kind of sat in my seat before and are just there as an ear, you know, which is so valuable. So deeply appreciative of that and really, you know, looking forward to developing my abilities as a mentor, you know, as I continue on this journey. Yeah. Thanks for the share. And you, and you touched on, on, on different aspects of it, like the one, the one-on-one mentorship, sure, but not everyone can find their one-on-one mentor or, or different aspects, but to have those, to have the mass mentorship tools. And that's kind of what, one of the things that I'm trying to bring forward, right. Uh, with this podcast and, and some of the other sharing is just give people ideas and best practices and, and just dif- different things to think about as it relates to their personal and professional growth, because the journey mm. of the entrepreneur it's a similar journey for the individual, even though everyone's everyone's journey is different. Uh, there, there's 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 common themes and yeah and yeah, you know, hoping to to bring that because not everyone has that. Uh, everyone can tune into a and read something, listen to someone, and, and get some inspiration and some uh, some healthy example from that. Mm-hmm. How can people get in touch with you? Are, are you uh, are, are are you open if uh, on on social or or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I have. Well, first off, check out Mudwater first. Our Instagram is Drink Mudwater, so M U D W T R, and then check out our website. We have, you know, if you're not interested in the products, like we have a lot of amazing content that we're putting out that's all around the same topics, like evolving how we rise and rest, breath work, meditation. We have a lot of, you know, free classes you could even take. And then on a personal level, my Instagram is so many possibilities. It's probably one of the best ways to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts, and then connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I'm starting to become more active there. Sweet. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll drop all the uh, links in the, in the show notes. Anything else, uh, Shane, anything else you want to mention, say any, any final thoughts? No, just, I, I'm always just grateful to like, in many ways, these conversations are therapeutic i think you know sometimes as the ceo as the founder there's there's so much to do and sometimes you're like oh, okay i gotta record a podcast and i don't have time or emotional space for it but as i've been doing it more and more every time i'm like it's it's you know good for me like this is much value add for me because it allows me to process my thoughts process my experience like in many ways it's like an auditory journal entry and, you know, I was speaking so much about like the value of journaling. It's like, it has that same impact. So I'm just grateful for the invite for you having me on and yeah, just for holding the space with, with some awesome questions to allow me to, to process what's going on. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's been a little bit of the future state you, cause you mentioned that, you know, as continue going on, you want to, you want to become a better and better mentor Well, doing that is yeah. one a big part of that is sharing your thought leadership and, and you definitely shared some thought leadership today. So I, uh, appreciate the time. I know it's valuable, uh, in business and especially when you got a, a one-year-old at home. So thanks. You just got that. Thank <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you for listening to the founder to mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fata. That's it for now. See you next time.